0: This is a Federal News Network
1: podcast. An influx of money from the CARES Act helped the Navy Department make major strides in modernizing its networks. Now leaders say it's time to focus on bolstering those networks' cybersecurity. Part of that is a major pivot from compliance-driven approaches to ones that focus on continuous monitoring. The new effort is called Cyber Ready. Federal News Network's Jared Serbu has more details on what the Navy and the Marine Corps are trying to achieve here. The idea of keeping constant tabs on a system's cyber health certainly isn't new. Indeed, it's central to the NIST risk management framework DoD already uses to authorize systems on its networks. But Navy IT leaders think they've hit on a new framing that'll help with the cultural changes they think will be needed to move away from checklist-based, single-point-in-time security approvals. Aaron Weiss, the Navy Department CIO, says framing the problem in terms of readiness, akin to the way the military measures service members and equipment's ability to complete missions on a day-to-day basis, has found a good deal of resonance in the Navy and Marine Corps.
2: This is not fleet readiness. That's not what we're talking about. But it is the approach, the idea of how we measure readiness on a very holistic way uh, and is something that you dynamically manage. And it is, it is a way that we measure ourselves in a very complete way and bringing that to the topic of cybersecurity. And my sense is we've really hit on, I think a message that resonates, an approach that can bear fruit And we've gotten really favorable engagement on this idea.
1: Exactly what cyber-ready looks like in practice is still to be determined. The concept has only been under discussion since October, and the Navy Department plans to test it with a handful of pilot projects in the coming year before drawing any broad policy lessons. But Weiss says the key objective is to move away from the current practice of granting systems and authority to operate only once every three years. That approach, he says, incentivizes bad behavior.
2: One of the things that we're saying as part of Cyber Ready is that the idea of a three-year ATO is wrong-headed, that you somehow go fill all this out, go through a lot of work, fill out a giant spreadsheet, and do 10,000 push-ups, and, uh, and you get an ATO, and it's good for three years. Because people get that ATO, and they go, yeah, job done. I got an ATO. Uh, and then what happens? Uh, they, in three years, that system hasn't evolved, been updated. It's no longer secure. It ends up as a high-risk escalation, and it ends up on my desk. And these are then systems that are problems, um, and, it, and it, it incentivizes bad behavior. Uh, we believe that we need to get to – this is not an aspirational thing. We need to get to this idea that you're always earning your ATO. And there's a lot of snazzy phrases, continuous ATO and blah, blah, blah. But the idea is you're always earning and re-earning your ATO every day.
1: And Navy IT leaders think their technology developers are hungry for changes along those lines. Jane Rathbun, the Navy Department's CTO, says the acquisition community is often frustrated by the process of building new systems and turning them over to cybersecurity officials for approval once they're ready to deploy. She says developers would actually prefer to have the CISO community embedded in their programs from the start.
0: They
3: see a need for common platforms so that they can abstract the actual capability from the IT infrastructure piece, and that that can be already uh, prepared and, 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 and ATO'd. And I don't have to repeat that and or get approval for that every time I want to add real capability to, to the Navy and to the Marine Corps. Um, they want inheritance. They got Marine Corps approval on some platform andor or a solution that we're now going to use in the Navy we're all one big happy family. We need to have inheritance. We don't need to be doing things twice. They want automation. They wanna, they wanna automate as much of the process as possible. So it is not this paper drill and this throwing over of the transom to the, to the uh, authorizers to, to evaluate and then maybe sometimes bring them all the way back to the beginning when they don't need to do that. If an authorizer was involved throughout the process, less time spent they do agree that they must comply with cybersecurity and they want to do that. That's never been the problem. It's just the how we get
1: there. Cyber Ready also dovetails with an effort the Navy has already had underway for the past several years to streamline its implementation of the risk management framework. Over the past year, the Navy has reduced the number of security controls it considers critical from about 600 to just 72. And Rear Admiral Susan Breyer-Joyner, the Navy's Chief Information Security Officer, says the Navy is looking for ways to automate security checks for many of those remaining controls.
0: We also have a commercial solutions opening for the tools that allow us to automate the workflows associated with the compliance checks, because there will still be compliance checks. This is not the ticket to say nobody ever has to scan or patch again. This is the ticket that says we're going to figure out a better way of understanding how well you're scanning and patching and where in a near-real-time basis, the vulnerabilities are that the fleet CyberCom commander needs to order a network maneuver because now we have unacceptable risk on the network. We've actually done a formal overlook to say, hey, based on what we're trying to achieve with CyberReady and based on what we've been doing with RMF reform, what's the overlap? And the overlap's pretty significant. And that's good news because it means that we can accelerate towards that brighter future much faster.
1: The new approach is also likely to lean heavily on automated approaches to red teaming and penetration testing, according to Renata Spinks, the Marine Corps CISO. While there's certainly no intention to eliminate human red teams, the sea services do need ways to test their defenses against real-world threats much more frequently.
4: If we use real-time information, from the people who are closest to the network, our secure operate and defend operators, the policy should align to what's been proven, not set policy and and then try to make people retrofit into something, some person like me that's studying for PhD studies, oh, some grand new idea, I wanna make a policy on that. It's gonna be reversed. And so pen testing will not only tell me how ready you are, but it will also teach me what are the new things that the adversary is doing. What are some of the things that maybe we've become complacent about, like passwords being 16 characters? And you know, well, maybe that's no longer effective because during this penetration test, um, this actual you know attempt was successful. Maybe maybe it wasn't exploited, but a payload was delivered. So now that tells me how I have to shift to be ready for that next thing. That's not if it occurs, but when it occurs.
1: Jared Serbu, Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network check out Jared's story at federalnewsnetwork.com.
5: Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and today I'm thrilled to be joined by Melissa Bradley, the founder and managing partner at 1863 Ventures, an investment company focused on bridging entrepreneurship and racial equity and accelerating new majority entrepreneurs from high potential to high growth. Additionally, Melissa is co-founder of Venture-Backed Eureka, a community where small businesses gain unprecedented access to the expertise needed to grow their businesses and has more than 20 years of entrepreneurship, investment, and leadership experience. Melissa, welcome and thank you for being here.
6: My pleasure. Thank you for having me.
5: Who is the first person that you remember looking up to as a leader and what was it about them that inspired you?
6: So there are actually two people. Um, The first person, personally, was my mom. Uh, She was a single parent. And what I realized is that she was the leader of our household, but she was also the leader of our community. Um, She was a staunch advocate for children's rights in public schools, making sure that we got a quality education. She was a staunch advocate around rights for renters. Um, We were not in a financial position that we actually ever owned a home, uh, but she made sure that people who lived in various types of housing, we were in regular housing, the people who were in regular housing, public housing, she made sure that their rights were advocated for um, and really just always kind of looked out for, I'll, I'll use air quotes, the little guy, while Although we were the little guy, uh, and then I would say she was a huge advocate of older folks. Um, as part of her job, she worked during the week uh, in a full time job, and then cleaned houses on the weekend. But also took care of elderly folks and a staunch so advocate for elderly rights. Um, so that was probably the the first leader. And then I would say the second leader
5: As a company grows, WEPA is growing as well, and you are so spot on. We have, as as leaders, we have to let go and trust those people that work for us and empower them to do their job and then let them roll, and that's not always easy.